1: Welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly podcast about agriculture and medicine with an emphasis on biotechnology and the good things we can do for people and the planet. My name's Kevin Fulta. I'm a professor, I'm a podcast host, and always very grateful to have a front seat at the edge of innovation and learn the new things that are happening in biotechnology, both in the agriculture and medical context. And today we're going to talk about an innovation in gene editing that, Uh, really changes a twist or presents a twist on the old idea of deactivating a gene with gene editing into activating a gene, but not just activating a gene, but activating an entire suite of genes. I'm speaking with Dr. Yi Ping Chi. He's an associate professor at the University of Maryland, and he's uh, had a history of coming up with innovative solutions for plant biology. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Chi.
2: Well, thank you for having me. Glad to be here.
1: Yeah, this is great. I, um, I always appreciate the uh, University of Maryland. You have great faculty there, and um, and I always appreciate really cool innovations in plant biology. So here we go. When we're talking about gene editing, what are we traditionally speaking about?
2: Well, we, we traditionally uh, speaking about gene editing is more referring to uh, those DNA editing tools such as zinc finger nucleus, talon, or nowadays CRISPR-Cas9. And these tools will go to the genome to modify DNA letters. So that is genome editing we're talking about.
1: Yeah, so usually it's uh, what they always refer to as site-specific nucleases, right? And so why is this uh, so powerful?
2: Yeah, you're right, Kevin. If they are called a site-specific nucleus because they can direct mutations very specific to a tailored DNA sequence, a user or a researcher want to do that. So it's it's powerful because traditionally when we do mutagenesis at random, you have to select many mutation, many mutants, and then find the one you're interested in. But with genome editing, you can direct that effort. It saves a lot of effort, time, and resources to, to achieve the product you want to achieve, yeah, which is mutants. So
1: Yes, and for, for, for listeners who are interested in these topics, we've talked about everything from uh, curing sickle cell anemia using these tools to many innovations in plants. So, making very precise deletions in DNA that allow a gene to be deactivated or in us to understand what that gene does. And everybody does this now. But your work that you've recently reported really turns this entire process upside down. How do you activate genes using CRISPR Cas?
2: Yeah, right. So, Try to make it, it's a little simple here. So, uh, we activate genes with CRISPR-Cas is really repurpose it from a DNA cutting scissor to a DNA binding glue. And then we attach useful things to the glue so that then can, they can bind to the promoter, which is a leading DNA sequence ahead of a coding sequence of a gene, let's say. And then that's going to recruit more proteins, which are activator so that they can turn on the genes.
1: Yeah, so we we know something about the proteins that are required for turning a gene on. And this is really just a, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but you're taking the Cas9 protein and giving it the instructions to bind DNA in a very specific way. But you've added to the protein uh, domains that recruit the activating proteins from the cell. Is that correct?
2: That's correct, Kevin. This is exactly what we have done. However, to achieve that more efficiently, you have to do some kind of engineering to test a lot of components to make it work perfectly. So,
1: Well, what kind of engineering do you have to do?
2: So what we have been primarily focusing on is really to test a bunch of uh, activators which are known to be able to turn on genes uh, in their native context. And then we take those things attached to uh, a cast protein and we also try to attach to the guide RNA through RNA-protein interaction. But in short, we were able to test a different recruiting strategy, different uh, activators. And ultimately, we combine, compare all of them to benchmark a strategy we call CRISPR Act 3.0, and which result very uh, promising, very high efficiency activation.
1: Well, maybe the more fundamental question is, why would we want to turn on a gene, or let's just say an entire suite of genes? What are some reasons why that
2: may be necessary? Yeah, that's a good question. So uh, traditionally, we're always interested uh, about uh, knocking out genes to find their function. But however, if we are thinking about uh, especially uh, engineering better crops, and that's a limited option if we only are going to knock out, make mutation on genes, right? So, So on the opposite, if we can turn on genes so many genes are already doing very useful, wonderful job in their position. So I always think about genes are just individual in society. So if we can really make more output of those genes, good ones, and then we can really uh, turn around to make better crops. In this case, because I'm really a plant biologist, I'm thinking about how can we make, how can we make better crops? So.
1: And, and maybe what are some good examples of that? Like what, what could you do to make a better crop using activation strategies?
2: Yeah, so there's a lot of examples. For, uh, for one example, for example, is uh, a priming defense response, and many genes we know are very important. Uh, they turn on uh, upon pathogen attack. So what we can do is we can uh, prime defense by activate, by activating certain genes ahead of a pathogen infection. This is just one example. Another example could be uh, we are very interested in a certain uh, secondary metabolite, either for Nutrition of all, again, for defense response to you know, fight against the bacterial pathogen, let's say. And then we can turn on many genes involving the pathway to make that secondary metabolite more. So this is another example.
1: Oh, yeah, that's very true. So there's a whole bunch of secondary metabolites that, say, have medical applications. You could, in essence, turn on an entire pathway by using this kind of
2: strategy. Yes, this is really one of the goals we have. And then yeah, we sort of demonstrated a little bit in the paper. Yeah,
1: yeah. I guess the other thought is just basic research. If you wanted to find out gene function of a gene, and let's just say there are multiple copies of that gene in the genome, so you have redundancy, it doesn't. it's not easy to knock out one of them. So could you just use overexpression to learn what that gene does?
2: Certainly you can. At least it's one of the tools people have been using to figure out the gene function. And as you mentioned, yeah, gene redundancy is a problem. However, by activating one of the gene, we can actually achieve gain of function. So to me, this is very important. This technology enables scientists to achieve. We can conduct, presumably, even a genome-wide gain of function screen to figure out the gene function. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. So, But here's one of the issues. So when you use gene editing, we can give a guide RNA which takes the enzyme to the specific site to make the cut. But if you're trying to turn on genes by, you know, as you say, adding this enzyme, which is the glue that takes the activator sequences to specific places, how do you instruct it to go to so many different places to do its job?
2: Well, that's a good question, Kevin. So fundamentally, uh, it still works as CRISPR-Cas9 when it's being used for genome editing, still rely on two components. One is Cas protein, another one is guide and they work together. However, the trick, the caveat is in this activation system, we sort of deactivate the Cas9 protein by introducing specific mutation to Cas9 so that it lost its nucleus cutting activity. So in that sense, it can only bind, the still guided by guide RNA, to bind the DNA sequence such that it only can bind, cannot cut. That's how we can really sort of harness the system, become a homing mechanism, homing system to, to target the DNA region specifically
1: but you're talking about multiple dna sequences to as targets so how do you get it to go to six different places
2: oh yeah so of course when we design one guide rna it can only go to one location because we want to design very specifically so if you want to target let's say six different genes you have to express them at least six different guide rna and we have a system which allow very smooth way of construction of them into a vector to deliver so we call the multiplexed uh, construction system. So, in this sense, uh, it is multiplex genome ac- uh, gene activation.
1: We're speaking with Dr. Yi Ping about multiplexing gene activation through a semi-disabled and re-enabled Cas9 enzyme in plants. <laughs> it's a uh, really clever stuff. Uh, this is the Talking Biotech podcast, and we'll be back in just a moment.
3: Hey, podcast listener. Do you know the important power that you have as a science enthusiast? Don't just think of yourself as a consumer. Understand your critical role as an amplification node. You see, the sound going into your ear should not be a dead end. Your consumption of scientific information should be an important node in a complex web of dissemination. Think of yourself as a messenger, connecting the podcast topic to the folks in your networks. Share the podcast in your social media feed. Give your opinion. Share your synthesis. This is how good science grows. The enemies of science and technology have ambitious networks that share the evidence of UFOs, the flat freezing earth and the dangers of COVID-19 vaccine. Their distribution system says food is poison, farmers are evil, and all the bees are dead. Such discussion exists because of the ambitious networks of a few creepy credulous twits that are happy to share the nonsense. But there's a lot more of us than there are of them. Exploit the power of your networks to talk about technology and how it is consistent with your most deeply held values. Understand your family and friends' concerns. And share how new technology can address the issues they care about. Remember that 70% of people are getting their flawed and bogus information from stupid social media. Counter it early and often, sharing the information you trust and find compelling. Now remember, we don't have a problem with innovation. We have a problem with communication. And getting innovation to application happens faster when you become part of the discussion. Now back to the Talking Biotech Podcast.
1: And now we're back on the Talking Biotech podcast. We're speaking with Dr. Yi Ping-Chi at the University of Maryland, and he's come up with a very clever strategy to use Cas9 gene editing, not to edit a gene to deactivate it, but to actually use the enzyme's binding activity to grab DNA and do it in a targeted way and then activate the associated genes uh, adjacent to that binding activity. So it turns out to be a way to turn on multiple genes in a, uh, in a, in a plant system. So when you're looking at um, gene editing in general, one of the big criticisms is off-target mutation when we have deactivation. And so do you know about off-target activation?
2: we uh we we know a little bit now so this is a new area and uh so i think uh, fundamentally the off targeting issue is going to be very similar to the genome editing application which is a uh, pretty much we have concluded that uh, let's say crispr cas9 is very specific if you design the guide rna very specifically so similar uh, principle would apply to this activation system however we are actively uh sort of investigating the specificity in this case
1: I see, but it also depends on the quality of the genome sequence you have because you don't know if there are off-target binding sites present. Is that kind of true with most plants?
2: That is true, and but uh, things are uh, going along very fast nowadays with all the sequencing technology, and I, I imagine a lot of uh, plants, a lot of crops will have that genome available, and so that wouldn't be a problem. And secondly, uh, we can actually do a rather cheaply uh, with technology called uh, RNA sequencing, so or RNA seq in short. So by doing RNA sequencing, we can figure out uh, is there any off-targeting effect in the in the plant we are engineering.
1: Yeah, that's true. You can just do a quick coverage of RNA seq to identify if there's uh, evidence of things being activated that don't belong. Is that because that that makes a lot of sense? Um, what what plants have you tested this? In just for proof of concept?
2: Well, for the proof of concept in the paper, uh, we have done the research in Arabidopsis saliana, which is the motor plant. We've also tested that in tomato, which is a dicot crop, uh, vegetable crops. And we, in addition, we have also tested uh, uh, quite much in rice, which is a major staple crops.
1: Yeah, so the, the rice question, basically in, in the paper, you're just using genes which are really reporter- um, genes, right? Like, so genes that will tell you that there is activation very clearly because of specific genes that you know in the pathways. And so can you tell me a little bit more about that?
2: Yeah. So uh, so basically in biology or in genetics, we know the sort of central dogma of uh, information flow from DNA to RNA to protein, right? So for the most part. So this activation system allows us to make more of RNA product and which in most cases, will be translating into more protein. So, however, we want to show whether that you know that's true or not. So that's why we use a reporter with mCherry, which is a, a fluorescent protein, which can be turned on once the activation system is very efficiently working in the rice cell. So this is one data we have shown in the paper. However, we also tested a multi pest gene activation to sort of turn on many genes in the metabolic pathway. In this case, we have done testing on the beta-carotene pathway, which is the pathway making golden rice. And we also tested the activation in the uh, proanthosinidine pathway, which is another me- secondary metabolic pathway. So, so in, in principle, we were able to show the gene can be activated. However, it takes more effort to really apply this technology into engineering uh, biofortified, that, let's say, uh, crops with higher nutrition.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot more steps there I guess, but it, it's nice that you mentioned golden rice because you could in essence create high beta carotene rice without adding any genes from bacteria. Is that true? Other than Cas,
2: right? <laughs> yeah, yes, other than Cas, But, you know, Cas is in the yogurt, right? If you eat yogurt, you're always eating Cas9 all the time. So, so that's so true. And so that's one of the reasons we want we are very excited about technology. So we we really want to actually test the idea of uh, sort of unleash the uh, sort of a uh, natural power of the, let's say, rice to make golden rice rather than rely on a transgene from bacteria, another transgene from maize. So we're doing something different.
1: Yeah, that, well, that's one really nice application. If uh, What are some other ideas that you have as to things you would like to do next in terms of using the technology?
2: Yeah, that's a lot of things we can do. Of course, you're always limited by the resources or the interest you want to do. So in my lab, one major area we are doing now is, uh, is doing a quite large scale, almost genome-wide uh, screen uh, using this activation systems, and so we can uh, try to make a library of guide RNA which can target all the genes in the genome. Uh, let's say tomato, and then uh, researchers who are, whatever are interested in in, in sort of a climate change, uh, freezing tolerance or salinity tolerance, anything you are interested, in, you can use a library to screen for for the for the gene of your interest showing the phenotype. So this is a gain-of-function screen, which is opposite to the loss-of-function screen has been traditionally practiced over the many years.
1: I see. So that's a really cool idea. So, so let me just make sure I understand. So you're creating an entire series of um, potential activators that will turn on many different well, well sequences that will guide the activation complex, to genes that will turn on you know, just the adjacent gene that maybe we don't know its function yet, but we can learn its function in the context of something like heat stress or salt stress or cold stress or whatever, if we wanted to screen all those different uh, variants or all those different variants of the guide RNA. So am I understanding your point correctly?
2: Yes, Kevin, you understand very correctly. Yes, this is uh, exactly uh, what we can do, actually. So we can screen many genes so, of your interest. And uh, it can be divided by different categories, like transferring factors, uh, receptor-like kinase, anything you, a researcher is interested in, they can group them and only target those genes, make a small library to activate them for the screening.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. So are these resources that you're planning to make publicly available?
2: Oh, yes. I always uh, try to make all the resources public available. One of the major platforms, for distributing our tool is called so Addgene, so A D D G E N E, Addgene, so which is a uh, I think the biggest uh, the public repository for all the plasmid vectors for distribution to to the researchers all over the world.
1: Yeah, so that's uh, that's under Addgene I think is where you find or
2: the so org. If you search Addgene yeah. and my name Ping Qi Y I P I N G Q I you will directly uh, get to the webpage of my lab's uh, plasmid, including this tool we're talking about today.
1: Oh, that's really outstanding. Well, thank you very much. Well, what what do you think is the, how much activation do you get, though? I mean, is it increasing the expression of a uh, adjacent gene twofold, or is it a hundredfold?
2: It all varies, Kevin. So, uh, for some gene which already we could, let's say housekeeping genes, they already produce abundantly in the cell, you may be limited on how many folds you can activate further. But for a lot of genes, which are pretty much a 10 on, uh, 10 off, sorry, so then we can really activate to even a thousand level. So yeah, it, it all depends. So.
1: Yeah, I, I just was curious about that because that was always one of the Uh, problems with the previous activation approaches or one of the limitations, I should say, of the previous activation approaches. And and so what's next? Is it really just application or do you think you'll continue to try to make the tool better?
2: Yeah, we will continue to make the tool better. Uh, One area we are uh, working on now is how can we use uh, AI or should I say machine learning to uh, uh, to help us to design better guide RNA to achieve more robust activation, as you mentioned the earlier, system wasn't very good, right? So so this is one area I'm working with collaborator, uh, which is actually funded by National Science Foundation. We are trying to uh, define which kind of rule, which, again, the machine learning can, you know, look at data, can help us ultimately come up with the best design, you know, of guide RNA for each individual gene so that we can achieve the best outcome of activation.
1: So, Dr. Chi, thank you very much for your time. And I should mention that when when people search for you, it's uh, Yiping, Y-I-P-I-N-G, Chi, Q-I. When people want to learn more about the tool and maybe even get in touch with you, where would they look?
2: Well, they can, uh, there's multiple ways. They can even just search my Google My Name, Yiping Chi. And I also have my personal lab website, which is qilab.weberley.com, and that That's a lot of information there. And uh, yeah, they can also go go to Google Scholar, uh, search my name to find my publication, including this one.
1: And this was a paper that was published in Nature Plants in 2021. So you can actually find this one. This is uh, the June 24, 2021 Nature Plants. So Dr. Chi, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I really appreciate the work you're doing and how it can really aid not only the research community, but potentially have big roles in solving problems in agriculture
2: thank you for having me kevin
1: And as always, thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech podcast. Please write reviews; Um, they really do make a difference because many people are finding the huge numbers of podcasts that are now available, and uh, we're you know competing against a lot of great media. So when you write a review, it helps people realize that this is a worthwhile podcast to check out. And I really do appreciate all of your support and your kind letters and. You know, remember always that we stand on the shoulders of giants and we're just trying to drive this forward faster for the right reasons for people and a planet. This is the Talking Biotech Podcast, and we'll talk to you again next week.
3: The Talking Biotech Podcast reflects the personal views of Dr. Kevin Fulta and its guests. These are not the views of the University of Florida, its faculty, staff, or students. But after all, it is science, so they probably are. But it has to be clear that there is no university affiliation with this podcast. Which is a damn shame, but I guess that's how it goes. So feel free to share this science communication effort. Recommend guests. And support us if it's a few shekels over on Patreon. We invest all funds back into promotion of the podcast to widen the audience, enhance production, and expand science communication efforts in many ways. Thank you for listening to the Talking BioTech Podcast.